Well, good morning again. We're so glad you guys are here with us. It's a beautiful day after a couple of days of rain, and so we're glad you took some time to be with us. If you're new, we're especially glad you're here with us visiting, and make sure, like they said, to walk, stop at the Welcome Center. We have a gift for you. Uh, I will make it a pill, even though you just heard it with Easter services. Uh, you, you know, we run six to 700 people on a typical Sunday. A lot more of you are at home and then come the next week, so it's just this weird flow of people sometimes. But Easter, everybody chooses to show up, and so it's usually around 1,500 to 2,000 people uh, we have during our Easter services. And so uh, this is a small room. I don't know if you guys noticed this or not, uh, and it's already getting full even on a regular Sunday. And so if you are available to come to the Thursday service, um, and just so you guys know, uh, we talked about this a little bit, uh, the Thursday services is something that we're looking at moving forward with. Um, And so we realized during the summer, a lot of people have campers and lake houses and boating and there's cheerleading and baseball. And let's just be honest, sometimes on a weekend, you just want to sleep in. And so uh, that Thursday service will be available for you, uh, hopefully starting the week after Easter. So Thursday, there's a meal before. Saturday at 4 p.m., we'll have an egg hunt right after and some other things associated with that. Even if it rains, we're going to do an indoor egg hunt, which I don't know how we're going to do that, but we're going to make it happen. And then uh, Sundays at 10 and 1130 Come to what service works best for you and your family, especially if you're inviting a neighbor or a friend. Uh, But if you're a regular attender of Journey and you could consider that Thursday or Saturday service, please do that. So we are in the fourth week of this James series, and we are just kicking a look through the book of James and just working right through it. Uh, We got one more week leading into Easter. Uh, I realize next week is spring break, so like half of you won't be here. Uh, And so make sure you check it out online as we conclude this series. But so let me give you a picture of where we've been in case you're new or you forgot or weren't paying attention. And so uh, we've kind of been just working through this book. And James is the brother of Jesus, one of the early leaders in the church. And he writes this super practical letter, um, almost in some ways very similar to the book of Proverbs. He's just given these little nuggets of wisdom of how we kind of work through life and go through things. And so last, a couple weeks ago, we took this idea of looking in the mirror and this idea that sometimes the Bible and the things we see, it's like this reflective thing that we have to look at. And then we look at our lives and see how we compare. And, and, you know, we use the analogy that, you know, none of us in this room, for the most part, would kind of look in a mirror and see something wrong with our hair or our face or our makeup or whatever, and just walk away, right? We, we would fix it and we would adjust it. So we talked about that. Last week, we talked about this idea of our words. And we use the idea of that sometimes we need to be quick to listen slow to speak, and when we choose to speak, to be careful because of the power and the weight of our words. But we also talked about the idea that sometimes when words are exchanged, that there's this kind of period where just because we're sorry doesn't mean it goes away, right? I mean, there's this weight that comes with our words sometimes that needs to be dealt with. Um, And then we talked about this idea of don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says in the first week. And, and James, we, we haven't even covered this because we we're trying to cram it all into five weeks. But you may have heard this verse. It's in James 2. It says this. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but don't show it by your actions? Right? And that's the million-dollar question that this whole series is based on, that we can say we have faith. And, and even though we talked about the power of words last week, the reality is actions always trump words, don't they? Right? So we used this saying last week, you know, we shouldn't tell our kids, sticks and stones may break your bones, my words will never hurt me, or however that goes. It's a dumb saying. We shouldn't say that. Uh, the same is also true, that we know that you should never say to your kids, do as I say, not as I do. Does that work? And so we know that our actions in some ways even trump 
our words. And, and so we even talked before this series, we preached out of James 4 just a couple months ago. It says, what is causing quarrels and fights among you? And he says that it's his stuff that comes from within us. And so James is kind of building this case for us to take a real honest look about our lives and especially where we are and the situations going on. And, and, and I'll go ahead and tell you, I don't know about you, but sometimes the Bible tells us stuff that I'm just like, come on, man. Like, really? And for me, this is one of those weeks. At least right now, when I read my notes that I wrote a week ago, and I'm going over them the past couple of days, um, my first thought was, okay, I can preach that, but I don't know if I can preach that right now. And I can preach that to you, but I'm going to have a hard time listening to my own words. And so we're going to dive into it anyway, and I think where we are in human history, where we are culturally, where we are socially, where we are politically, and where some of us may be personally, I think that what James has to say to us today is going to be super practical and something that makes our faith work. And so in James chapter 3, he says this, if you are wise and understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life. Doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. And so he's saying that if you're going to be wise and do God's ways, it's again putting those pieces together of faith goes with action and the way we live out our life. And he says this, but if you are bitterly jealous and there is selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover it up with truth, boasting, and lying. And the reality is we all know people and we've even been those people um, that there's things in our heart that need to be worked out and we try to cover it up because we get really good at covering things up, right? That's what we do. And so he goes on in verse 17 and he says this, but the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It is also peace loving, gentle at times and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. And so essentially what James is saying is there's going to be moments in your life where there's going to be conflict, whether it's outside or internal. There's things that you're going to have to work through. And there's this pattern that we see not only in James' writing, but also in the teachings of Jesus and in the teachings of Paul, this idea of being peacemakers and being peacemakers in this world and in our lives. And so people who strive to work to make peace in this world, in their lives, and in the relationships around them. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 9, blessed are the peacemakers. And so what is a peacemaker? So that's where we have to start because it's this word that we've heard before, but what does that look like? And so the first thing is when I think of peacemakers, peacemakers are people who through making peace with God, and that's the first step. To be honest with you, I don't know how you try to make peace with other people if you haven't made peace with God first. And I don't even know what your motivation is sometimes. But people who, through making peace with God, have finally learned how to admit flaws and weaknesses, how to surrender their pride, and how to love without the need of controlling every situation. They go into these situations, it's sometimes difficult, and, and they try to go into it with an idea of we need to come out on the other side with peace. Um, the other thing is that we have to discover very early on is what peacemaking is not. And so if we understand what peacemaking is, and we want to be peacemakers, and we want to be wise, as James tells us we should be wise, the other side of that is learning what peacemakers are not. So there's a difference. There's, there's one thing called peacekeepers. I don't know if you know any peacekeepers in your life. Peacekeepers try to maintain an environment where no offense occurs. So we're just trying to keep the peace. Do you know what I'm saying? Like we're just, we're just trying to keep the peace. But the problem with peacekeeping is it doesn't often resolve the underlying conflict. All right. And so it appears peaceful, but there's not really peace. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? 
It appears peaceful, but there's not really peace. What else it is not is this. Peacemaking is not people who just walk away from the problem. That is called avoidance, right? And avoidance does not result in peace, all right? And so we have issues where we just try to avoid it, okay? And we're going to talk about this later. Do conflicts ever just resolve themselves? No, we know that. We all have had that experience. And so when it comes to peacemaking, it can't be avoidance, all right? And just because no hurtful words have been exchanged or no fists have flown does not mean there's peace, right? The other thing that peacemaking is not is peacemaking is not being a pushover, all right? And so sometimes we have people that, you you know this, when conflict arises, they just kind of walk away, right? They just kind of shrink down. They want to avoid the problems. And again, that's not really peacemaking because there's still all these underlying things that need to be discussed and worked through and done. And so we all understand that. And I think that's the pushback for some of us is that we think, well, does this mean I have to avoid the hard things? No. Does it mean I have to be just, you know, take the hard things? No. Um, The other thing is peacemaking doesn't always mean being passive. There's this really weird verse in Luke chapter 22 where Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, if you can go get a sword, Now, just think about that. Like, it's this odd verse where Jesus, who we ultimately assume with peace, and some of us even consume as pacifist, um, he tells his disciples that if you can, go and get a sword. Now, why would you tell somebody to go get a sword if there's not going to be some conflict that might require some action? So it doesn't mean that you always lay down. And then there's this verse, and this is one of my favorite verses that we don't often talk about in the Bible. Early on, when Jesus is talking to his disciples, he's about to send them out into the world. So he's about to send them on mission to do the work of God in the world. And here's what he says. I am sending you out like sheep among the wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. And we like to focus on the innocent as doves part, but we often forget about the shrewd as snakes. And so what is he saying? I don't think he's saying be deceptive, all right? The idea of shrewd as snakes, I looked into this because I was like, that's just an odd passage, isn't it? And so when you think about snakes um, and being shrewd, if you ever come upon a snake, you've probably come upon snakes and not even realized it. Because the first instinct of the snake is if there's not, doesn't need to be a conflict, or doesn't need to be danger, they'll hide, they'll go in the leaves, they'll go under a rock, they'll do that. But the other part about snakes is if you keep pushing it, what's going to happen? They're going to respond. And so they use wisdom and they realize that some things probably need to be avoided. But then also if you push, eventually they're going to have this moment of we're going to be wise. We're going to be cunning. We're going to be clever. And that's what we think about snakes. And so the same thing is true of us when it comes to our lives, when it comes to our world, is yes, we need to be innocent as doves. But sometimes we have to realize we also need to be shrewd as snakes. And so it's not passivity. It's not avoidance. And it's not those things. So what is it? Peacemakers do the hard task of uncovering wounds and addressing them with vulnerability, honesty, and authenticity. All right? And the goal of peacemaking is that ultimately it produces healing in the people that we're trying to make peace with or the peace we're trying to make with other people. That healing takes place. In Matthew 5, 9, Jesus again says, blessed are the peacemakers. And before this, Jesus, after this verse, Jesus is going to tell us how serious he is about this idea of making peace. And so he says this in Matthew chapter 5. He says this, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar. So like, we don't understand that language. He's like, if you're going to church, right? If you're going to the temple 
And there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go be reconciled to them and then come to offer your gift. Now, if I could edit the Bible, what I would say is go ahead and bring your gift and then go, all right? Because I got a budget I got to manage, all right? So that's just the human side of me. But what Jesus is saying, he's that serious about it. He's like, look, if you're going to come, and this goes in line with what we saw last week with words, where James says, you can't have blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth. And so you can't on one side be like, all right, I'm going to go sing songs about Jesus and about how much he loves us and we love him. And at the same time, walk away and then curse somebody or to do these things. And, and, and so it's this realization that Jesus takes this very seriously, that he wants there to be peace amongst his people. In Ephesians 4, 3, it says this, sorry, verse, starting in verse 1, getting down to verse 3. Therefore, I as a prisoner, so he's, he's a prisoner serving the Lord. So he's saying, I'm committed to this because of my choices, because I've chosen to be a follower of Jesus. Beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. So we've all been called. You think that I've been called as a minister. We've all been called in some ways. For you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle and be patient with each other. Making allowances for each other's fault because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. And so again, he's saying like, look, there's going to be conflict. There's going to be problems. But your first kind of default should be, if it's possible, can we keep peace in this situation? Then he says this, and I love this quote by Philip Yancey. He says, the issue is not whether I agree with someone, but rather how I treat someone who I profoundly disagree. We Christians are called to use weapons of grace, which means treating even our opponents with love and respect. And I'll go ahead and be the first to say that's incredibly difficult, isn't it? So there's another level to peacemaking. It's not just with your relationships that sometimes part of peacemaking is realizing that we see conflict between other people, even if they don't see it. And so Jesus says, blessed are the people who are willing to put themselves in the middle of conflict, trying to bring about reconciliation. Is it pleasant to get involved in the conflict of two other people? Yes or no? No. All right. That's an immediate no. All right. Because they can turn on you. They can hurt you, even though you're just trying to help the situation. But as we know, situations rarely, if ever, just resolve themselves. All right. Left untreated, the wounds of hate, anger, ignorance, and resentment will only tear people further apart. And to be honest with you, the seeds of anger, intolerance, resentment will only tear you apart. And so Jesus says, blessed are the people who know that God loves relationship, that God loves right relationship, that God loves righteousness, and that God wants peace amongst his people. And so sometimes part of being a peacemaker is not just trying to be a peacemaker in your own life, but putting yourself in the inconvenient task of putting yourself in the middle of people and trying to help with reconciliation. When you make peace, and the Bible is very clear on this, and when you're willing to be a peacemaker, when you try to build peace, when you try to live in harmony with each other, when you try to seek understanding, the reality is you're doing kingdom work. You're doing the work. You're doing the good, as James says, that we've been called to do. So let's look at the bigger picture because we need to, all right? The reality is the reason that all of this is difficult for me to say and for you to hear because you know the conflict and the problems in your life is we live in a hurting, broken world. 
And many of us in this room or watching online ourselves are hurting or broken because of different things going on in our life. There is a lot offered in this world, but sometimes peace doesn't seem to be one of them. And so the, the views and opinions we have are so vastly different than others, right? We live in a world where everybody kind of has a different opinion about things and we're told how different we are. Um, social media tells us how different we are. The news tells us how different we are. We're putting categories and boxes and all of these things. And so we live in this world where there is a lot of conflict, There's a lot of conflict that we don't even want to be a part of, that it's just conflict because we're told this is the conflict we should be involved in, that you should see things this way or you should see things this way. And so the reality is, is that yes, that's true. um, But the other reality is also true, is that we really aren't all that different as human beings. We're told that we're different, but the reality is, is we're not that different. And you know how I found out that we're not that different is because you have to be willing to have conversations with people. We said this before, we live in the age of comment, not conversation. And when you're only wanting to put in comment, you never kind of get to any ground where you see where the other person is coming from. But if we're going to have peace in this world, if you're going to have peace in your life and peace in your relationships, you're going to have to have conversations, sometimes hard conversations, honest conversations with ourselves and others. And as James taught us last week, when we have these conversations, we have to be quick to listen and sometimes, as hard as it is, slow to speak. And the goal in these conversations is to learn, not just to win. And it's very painful for me to say that because I like to win. I don't know about you. I love this quote from Aristotle. It says this, it is not enough to win a war. It is more important to organize the peace. And this is the attitude of a peacemaker. And that's hard for certain people, including me. And so when it comes to this, we have to make, stop making so many comments. We have to stop just sometimes waiting for our turn to talk. And we have to be willing to listen, not only if it's the conflict involving us, but also the conflict involving others. Brene Brown once said this, people are hard to hate close up. And she doesn't mean close in proximity. She means the idea of when you try to understand their perspective. Um, I've said this before from the stage. There are people that when I first meet them, and I know this is not pastorly of me, I just don't like them. You just have people that like you just meet them and you don't like them. Um, And I shouldn't say that, but it's true. And and part of the reason I don't like them is because of the things that I hear about them or the, the image that I have of who they might be in these type of things. And then what happens is is I start to talk to some of these people and I start to learn a little bit of their backstory and what they've experienced in life and the things that have been said to them and the things that have been done to them. Like all of a sudden, like my my image of them changes a little bit. And to be honest with you, and I'm not asking you this, I may still disagree with them, but at least I understand them a little bit better. And at least this conflict or maybe these feelings that I have start to change a little bit. And that's all happens through conversation. And so part of being peacemaking is is actually being willing, as James said, quick to listen, slow to speak. Yeah, I said that the right way. I almost said it opposite because I want to say it opposite. You know, quick to speak, slow to listen. And uh, so you have to not just work for it. And this is the challenge that that we have. And this is the challenge that's going to be put in front of us. Um, We have to try to work for peace. And the reason I say work is because this. There's this great verse in Romans chapter 12, and it says this. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. 
Now, let's leave it up there for a second because that seems really unrealistic, doesn't it? And again, I think we have to look at the language. If it's possible, so there's statement one, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, and here's why I like that language, because it says you have to do your best, but you also can't control what they're doing. And so if it's possible, you live at peace. And the reason this is important, and I think that we need to say this because I think when it comes to peacemaking, when it comes to forgiving, when it comes to all of these things, sometimes we have to realize the truth of the matter. There's this great verse, we've used it before, and I tell people this verse all the time, um, and it's this great verse, and it's gross, but it's just here. Proverbs twenty six eleven: As a dog returns to it vomit, so fool repeats their folly. And, and I, I say this jokingly, but it's true. My dog literally vomited yesterday in our living room because we were pulling weeds and he ate some of the weeds and then he proceeded to go eat it, you know, before we could clean it up. So like we've all seen this if you have a dog. It's disgusting. I don't understand it. But what, but what the writer is saying is, is there's some people that are just going to keep returning. And so again, as far as it depends upon you, you do your best, but you also realize that some people are just going to keep doing this. And, and here's the hard truth. You don't have to be there when they do, right? The scriptures continually refer to this idea that there are some people. This verse in Titus chapter 3 is pretty distinct. It says this, Warn a divisive person once and then warn them a second time, and after that have nothing to do with them. You may be sure that such people are warped and sinful and they are self-condemned. I don't like this verse because the pastor side of me, even when I'm in conflict, makes me want to believe. Because I know people have given me second chances and third chances and fourth chances and fifth chances. And if you don't believe that, just ask my wife. And so, um, but there is this moment where sometimes we just go, okay. One of the things that I've learned is it's almost impossible to make peace with someone who doesn't want peace. And unfortunately, there are some people in this world that peace is just not one of their goals. If you don't believe me, maybe you'll believe the words of the captain and cool hand Luke made famous by Guns N' Roses. What we've got here is a failure to communicate. Some men you just can't reach. And so you get what we had here last week, which is what he wants. Well, he gets it. And I don't like it any more than you. But there are some people and there are some situations, which is why Paul says, as far as it depends upon you, Because you're the one that has to go to sleep at night, right? That you did what you could to make peace. So Jesus says to be wise as serpents. So I wrote in my notes, peacemakers are not those who ignore issues or try to smooth things over without actually resolving the actual issue. Peacemakers are willing to put themselves in the middle of conflict and point towards the ugly truth of the matter, no matter how ugly it may be at certain times. And so you become a peacemaker by actively seeking to resolve these places that we find ourselves in our lives, places in relationships, places in this world that are broken and hurting, okay? And so I think the pushback for sometimes when we want to be peacemakers is obviously we've already addressed some of them, but the other one is that sometimes it's hard to be a peacemaker because you feel like you're the only one trying to be a peacemaker, 
right? And, and that's just a statement, but I know some of us. It feels like, you know, what can I actually do? Because there is so much conflict in the world, and there is so much hurt in the world, and there's so much pain, and there's so much of the world we just live in comment, where nobody wants to have conversation. And, and so here's, here's the beauty of, I think, what, what James is getting at, is um, the reality is, even if you feel like you're the only one doing it sometimes, which I can tell you, you're not. There are other people working as well for peace. Um, you do have certain influences, in your family, with coworkers, with church members, your online network, or wherever it is, right? And, and so you have opportunities to speak peace into people's life, to try to be a peacemaker, um, and you have a voice. And, and the beauty of the body of Christ is that if, if we all use our voices together, now it's not just one or two people or a handful of people, it, it's a group of people. And it's, it's a, it's a beauty, beautiful, beautiful, I said that real funny. It's a beautiful thing when people work together, the realization that we're the body, that we're not doing this on our own. We're not the only ones trying to work towards peace. And so if each of us can connect with the people around us, we can show care for the people around us, we can have conversations, and we can point the conversation towards Jesus without being jerks, and that's a key word there, um, we have an opportunity to do something in our families, in our community, and in this world that maybe hasn't been presented before. Now, I want to end by saying this, okay? Um, Peacemaking isn't easy. If it was easy, it probably wouldn't actually change the world because usually the hard things are the things that make a difference, And people are always willing to do the easy things, aren't we? And people are seldom willing to do the hard things, all right? But here's what you have to know, and this is the language that James uses and Paul uses. Um, Christians are done with the easy things. We didn't sign up for easy. Otherwise, we wouldn't follow a Jesus who invited us to take up our cross, deny ourselves, and follow him. That's not easy, and that's what we all signed up for. So you might think that being a peacemaker means you're being a pushover, especially if you're a natural fighter like me. Um, But peace doesn't mean passive. I mean, think about Jesus. He came to this earth to make peace between God and man, and he laid down his life on the cross. He was active. This wasn't passive. This was active. And that's what Jesus has done, and he's been calling us to. Part of being a peacemaker, the language that we see that that translates in the Greek is also the same language that's used for a bridge builder. That there's one side and there's another side. And what peacemaking does is we come in and we build a bridge so the two sides can be connected again. Jesus has done this for us. He has bridged the gap between God and humanity. He has bridged the gap for us individually between him and us. He's bridged the gap that has divided people. Jesus has made us to live in peace, and to seek after peace. And so my hope is, is the realization of this message and what James is trying to say is that peacemaking makes you like Jesus. It's a faith that actually works. We said earlier in Matthew 5, 9, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called the sons of God. Now, what's interesting about that, that translation when we break it down in, in the Greek language is it's not his way of saying that like, oh, we're all God's children. Like what he's actually saying in this language is that when you do this, you are acting like the son of God, like you're acting like him as Jesus. And so what he says is when you're willing to work as a peacemaker, that you're fully embodying the realization 
that you're being like Jesus in those moments. That you're doing what Jesus, the Son of God, actually did. Which is being a person that has a faith that actually works. And so my hope is, is that we collectively can be peacemakers. Or as Paul says, as far as it depends upon you. Let's try to undertake the healthy but not easy task of being a peacemaker in this world and in our lives. And so as far as it depends on you, let's try. Let's pray. Father God, we love you.